What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Varsity Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Guevara. And with me, as always, is Mr. Lupe Ramirez. And we are officially done with another week of football. An exciting week uh, for some games. Some games seem to get a little out of hand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, definitely a lot to talk about and a lot of controversy regarding a certain game that we'll get into a little bit later. But let's get things uh, started off with uh, our first game, uh, our first recap, which is going to be the Santa Cruz Dust Devils who hosted the Bisbee Pumas. And how do you feel that game went for uh, the Dust Devils? Uh, I feel like it started off strong for them because they did score in the first quarter. But after that, they weren't able to answer back to what you know Bisbee was putting up. Uh, in the end, you know they they limped away with a sixteen to six loss, and I'm hoping that they have a better turnaround on this week. Yeah, and this week is going to be another tough matchup uh, for the Dust Devils. I think one of the biggest things I'm seeing with them is the lack of putting up points. And I know it's a young team, you know, a lot of sophomores, but uh, they have to find some way to put up points. And we said that this game was going to be a very close matchup between the Pumas and the Dust Devils, and it turned out to be. Now what I need to see the Dust Devils do uh, in this upcoming game is they got to play four quarters. They played two held uh, the Pumas to zero points in the first half. And then in the second half, something happened where they were not able to drive the ball anymore. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any stats uh, for that game. Based off the scoring, it just looks like they were able to score two touchdowns and make uh, two two-point conversions, and that's what ended up sealing the deal for Santa Cruz. I feel that the lack of uh, putting up points is ultimately what's going to hurt the Dust Devils this season. Uh, there's no way that you can win a game averaging six points a game. You know, the first game, you play a very good opponent in Gilbert Christian. That's uh, what we expected. But coming into this game, I mean, it was a close game that they could have stolen, you know, a victory. And like I said, we had them winning. Uh, they did a very good job in the first half. But now it's time to take that experience to the next level and play four quarters because you, you can't play one half of football and expect to win in this league you, you know no matter you know no matter what division you're in so i hope for better things for uh the dust devils going forward do i see it coming this week possibly not you know it, they do have another tough opponent and we'll get into that with our uh, week three matchups but the dust devils they have something they're building there you know they have the players they have the talent now is just about gaining that experience and that knowledge and being better each and every game. And I know that that's what uh, Coach uh, Tommy Cortez has to expect for his young team is that each and every game they're getting better and they're progressing. And I did see some progression this week. Now it's time to elevate that a little bit more going into week three. A hundred percent. And Coach Tommy Cortez is not letting that youth be an excuse for his team to not succeed right now. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they do this week. So moving on into our second game, we had uh, ALA Ironwood uh, taking on Arizona Lutheran Academy. And this one turned out to be a very close matchup. Uh, I know we weren't expecting that right out of the gate especially for an inexperienced team in ALA Ironwood but they came to play and they put the defending 2A champions uh you know they had them up against the ropes a few times and we really thought that ALA Ironwood was going to sneak that one out Friday night yeah we definitely did you know checking in on max preps and going through the stats and trying to see you know stay updated on what was going on in the game when we saw the final score we were actually pretty surprised to see that that they let one slip like that uh, it was a really close game. It was probably 
the most exciting game to probably be at. But based off their stats, they had a tremendous go around from the entire team. And even though it was a losing effort, they have a lot to show for it. Oh, yeah. And what were some of the players that stood out to you? I know you had a a couple that you wanted to mention this week, and there was a whole bunch, you know, that you could pick from on both the offense and defensive end. So who stood out to you the most? Well, I'll start off with their quarterback, Connor Malt. He went nine for 21 with 157 yards, had two touchdowns and overall a great game for him. And then let's talk about Aiden Williams. Aiden Williams had 18 carries, 124 yards and one touchdown. He also had a 27-yard long uh, run, and and that it doesn't stop there. Let's talk about A.J. Villasenor. He had three carries himself for 47 yards, one touchdown, and a 24-yard long run himself. And if, if you want to stick around with the offense, my last player to highlight would be Travis Mbuya. He had five receptions, 95 yards, one touchdown, and a 45-yard long run. That's a big stat. Yeah, no, that not was actually a reception, so it would be a would have been pass. Oh, reception! But, right, yeah, right, right, no, right. no, you're good, you're good. Uh, you know, there wasn't uh, anything entered uh, as far as the defensive end. I wish I would have been able to see, you know, just what they were doing in order to keep this game so close. But on the offensive end, they were answering the bell. You know, I would like to see uh, Connor complete a few more passes, but at the same time, for coming out, you know, throwing for 157 yards and two touchdowns, that's Pretty impressive for what we've seen so far from the quarterbacks in the 2A and 3A divisions. And it's just a hair shy of being 50% on his completion rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, one of the big uh, names that I wanted to give a big shout out to, uh, you named him uh, Aiden Williams. I talked about him, you know, uh, when we were doing the preseason predictions and stuff like that. And even though he's a sophomore, you know, to go up against an Arizona Lutheran team who is very competitive, who is very good and, and coming off a state championship, for him to just be a sophomore and rush for 124 yards, I mean, he was averaging almost seven yards a carry, which is very impressive for just being a sophomore. So, you know, definitely a lot to look forward to uh, with ALA Ironwood. And I feel that if teams are not careful, you know, in this 3A Central, there's a lot of teams we've been mentioning. Whether it's Coolidge, Santan Foothills, Florence, you might have to throw them in the mix as a team that can be a contender if they're able to uh, produce uh, points like this. Oh, yeah. Just like you said, let's give them a taste of the 3A Central and a little bit of a uh, taste of the controversy. Um, Eastmark had uh, a big game this week, too, and it, and it ended in controversy. We didn't get a whole lot of detail on that. We got a little bit of message you know, about what happened, but it's going to be an exciting year for the 3A Central region for sure. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I think that even uh, if Chris Kidney uh, wants to disagree with me about his boys in the 3A South over there, I think that this could possibly be one of the more competitive regions in 3A. It's just about the amount of teams that are producing, you know, in this 3A Central. And, you know, I, I do give it up to the 3A South, but they, they better be careful because the 3A Central is uh, coming to play, you know, and I wish uh, ALA Ironwood the best of luck and hopefully they can uh, pick up a victory this week and we'll, we'll see how they do because uh, it's definitely a team that is going to make a lot of noise and they're not going to go quietly. And that's for sure. Go Warriors. So the next game uh, we're going to get into is the Coolidge Bears uh, who hosted the Tempe Buffaloes. We already kind of knew what to expect going into this game. We were expecting uh, the Bears to put up a lot of points and 
they did not disappoint. You know, they uh, ended up taking the victory 61 to 16. And they had a big game uh, from a player who we didn't feel uh, was going to be the leader of the running back position, but he uh, sure did show out this week. Why don't you give them a little bit of detail about who stood out to you this week? Well, the gentleman you were talking about is young Mr. Javante Wall. Kid had 12 carries, 237 yards. Not done yet. (laughs) Not done yet. 73-yard long run and four touchdowns. It it was amazing. And and it didn't stop there. If you want to talk about the other running backs, let's talk about Maurice Glass. Maurice Glass had seven carries for 44 yards and two touchdowns himself. Belkham Namgabe had 12 carries, 92 yards, and one touchdown. And he also had three assisted tackles. So overall, the running backs definitely did put on a show. And that definitely helped out young Ethan, you know, under center because he only had to go six for seven, 137 yards and two touchdowns himself. It it was a really good game from the Bears. Yeah, it's definitely a a great comeback game for uh, not only the Bears, but Ethan as well. You know, he uh, threw a couple picks last game. So it's good to see uh, a zero in that column uh, this week. Uh, But um, even though the Bears put up, you know, a lot of points on the offensive end, there's still a couple of defensive players that kind of stood out to me. And one of them being, Andre Dukes uh, finished with uh, five tackles, but recorded three sacks on the night. I know that uh, last week I had spoken about him uh, over pursuing on some plays. And, you know, he he has the ability to get into the backfield at, at will. And, you know, I, I mentioned that, hey, slow it down a little bit and, you know, try to contain and, you know, the runners are going to run right into you. Don't over pursue. And it seems like he, you know, took that to heart and was able to uh, stay in the backfield all night, you know, and racking up three sacks. Uh, you know, another uh, big name that we uh, always uh, seem to mention on the defensive end, uh, Matthew Makazan uh, recorded five tackles, three tackles for loss. And uh, two sacks on the night as well. Total, you know, like I said, you got finally got contributions from people that didn't make a big impact in week one. And one of them I'm referring to is uh, Jordan Johnson. Picked up two tackles and as well had uh, two sacks on the night and gave the Bears 10 sacks for the night. So it just shows how dominant they were on both sides of the ball. And I think that this game is going to give them that momentum to carry it on as they go and visit Santa Cruz this week. Yeah, and one more thing. Let's talk about the receivers that got those touchdowns. One, Wanye Brookshire had two receptions for 45 yards and that tutty. And Gage Froman had two receptions for 37 yards and one touchdown. But one thing I'm noticing is that players on the defensive end are starting to pay really close attention to Gavin Gunter because he had the most receiving yards on the night. But as soon as they got close to the red zone, they had him covered. And that's why it was easier for them to throw to Gage and Wanye. Oh, well, you know, I always said that Coolidge has one of the the deepest uh, receiving cores I've seen in the teams that we cover so far between 2A and 3A. But if your running game is doing what they did, I mean, they rushed for seven touchdowns total and and I believe almost close to 400 yards rushing. Um, it's going to be, you know, a great night for your receivers and your quarterback as well. You know, like you said, Ethan didn't have to do too much, uh, but at the same time, it's good to see them still progressing in that passing game, because I said that's what they needed to elevate in order to be contenders in the 3A. And let's keep things going uh, into our fourth game as the Florence Gophers hosted the Palo Verde Titans. And this one was a very one-sided matchup as the Gophers took this one 73-0. A lot of people asked the questions, you know, 
when is enough enough? We've spoken about this uh, in previous episodes. To me, the game was 52 to 0 at halftime, I believe. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, why don't you stop there? Well, you know, you got to take into consideration Florence has over 40 kids on varsity alone. They have so much depth that there's players out there that are trying to, you know, make a name for themselves, trying to get the opportunities and take advantage of those because you don't have games like these very often, especially in that 3A Central. So I know that Coach Hart and the Gophers are not running up the score just for the hell of it. You know, the players are who are coming off the bench are excited to get in and they want to score and, you know, uh, make their parents and, you know, their uh, family members proud and and take the most out of those opportunities because they might not come very often. And so I think that's why you see the score at 73 to zero. But let's not sit here and sugarcoat it and say, you know what, Paula Verde did not even score any points last week against uh, Santan Foothills. So, you know, it's not really that. Florence was running the score up on them is that Paulo Verde's not experienced enough to handle a team like Florence. I think that this game is going to probably hurt Florence, you know, having Paulo Verde on their schedule as far as it goes for um, strength of schedule. And, you know, I see that the Gophers need, uh, you know, to blow out a lot of other teams, you know, that are way better than Paulo Verde in order to make up for this. But you got to give it to the Gophers, man. I mean, they went in, they handled business, and they got a shutout on a team they should have shut out. And that's what we always say is go out there and beat the teams you're supposed to beat. But let's go into uh, some of the stats. I know that they didn't have any offensive stats this week uh, inputted for the Gophers, but what was happening on the defensive side of the ball? On the defensive side, there was a lot going on. Let's talk about Quade Lewis. He had three solo tackles, three assisted, and six total with one interception. Aiden Lopez had five solo tackles, two assisted, and seven total. Wrangler Gilliams had four solo tackles, three assisted for seven total on the night. Another person on defense who shined was Kanan Neal. He had four solo tackles, four assisted for eight total on the night. And the, the final thing that I want to speak on is Anthony Pistorio. He had six solo tackles, three assisted, nine total, and I told you last week, and I and and we had conversation over social media about it too, and mm-hmm. I and I expressed how happy I was for him. But I told you last week because they were playing Palo Verde that he was going to get his first touchdown of the season in this game, and he did in a tremendous catch slung to him by young Logan Stenson. It was a great catch, and 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 shout out to him because he got a lot of good photos, especially from King Photos. Shout out uh, Jeff King from King Photos because he got an amazing. Mm-hmm. set of him making that catch and, and and it was amazing yeah you know you definitely did call that one and i know he was excited uh to share that as a touchdown with us and you know i think uh once we got the video like we were so excited for him and you know being able to uh share those moments on our social media page but i do actually have an update from the uh, florence gophers on the offensive end so it wasn't much you know that they needed to do on the offensive end. Uh, Logan Stenson went four for four for 60 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Jackson uh, had seven carries for 101 yards and two touchdowns. They rushed for a total of five touchdowns. So a big night, uh, you know, for the defensive end. And it made it a, a pretty easy night for uh, the offense. But, you know, what I love about Florence is that they're not making excuses for anything. You know, they go out there and they play who they're scheduled to play. 
and they're going to go out there and try to put the hurting on you, you know, for four quarters. That That's their job to sit out there and, you know, try to show that, hey, we're not no slouch here, you know, in 3A. Like, you know, we, we may have had a down year last year, but we're here to play. And, you know, I think these uh, first few games, it's kind of hard to dictate how good they are as far as who they're competing against. And we'll see them play a little bit better competition, maybe not this week, but in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see uh, if Florence is the real deal. And I really think that they are. I do, too. I, I can't disagree with you. So before we get into our game of the week, uh, we're going to dive into a game which also, like you mentioned, with Eastmark and Thatcher had a lot of controversy with it. A very, very competitive game from start to finish. Uh, but the Santan Foothill Sabercats took on the Benson Bobcats. And unfortunately, uh, Santan Foothills uh, took the loss, uh, dropping the game 21 to 14. But like we said, there was a lot of controversy. And if you guys were on social media and you saw some of our posts or our stories, was it a touchdown or was it a fumble? What was your take on that one before we dive into the uh, box score? Well, when we first got the message, uh, I think it came from Bo. Uh, He was telling us, you know, this was the final play that cost us the game. And, you know, we watched it. I watched it. And, and of course, we're at two totally different, you know, places. I'm at the Titan Tower and you at the Guevara compound. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm like, bro, I don't know. I was like, did he even have it crossing the line? And and it wasn't until you slowed it down that you were like, no, he didn't have control of it at all. He was trying to uh, extend the ball, got tackled and then never had full control of the ball as he was extending it and lost it. And for some reason, they called it a touchdown. And it cost the Sabercats a huge victory. Yeah, most definitely does. And, you know, unfortunately, that is what hurts uh, high school football. You know, high school sports in general uh, that don't have cameramen there to run instant replays and stuff like that. I mean, we remember uh, in the playoffs uh, for basketball between Mesquite and uh, St. Mary's, uh, there was a buzzer mm-hmm. beater uh, where Mesquite beat St. Mary's. You know, everybody who recorded that play all saw that he did not get the ball off in time, but they awarded him the basket. And that's sometimes how it ends. But the one thing I want to say is don't let this one play dictate that whole game. Because if you pay attention to the clock before, uh, that play, there was still about two minutes left in the ball game. So still an opportunity for uh, the Sabercats to either try to tie the game or even win the game uh, later on. You know, they still had that opportunity. Yes, it does deflate some momentum. It does, you know, get your players down because by what we saw, yes, they did make the play they were supposed to make. The Sabercats were up one point, And I know that hurts, you know, but at the same time, you can't sit there and let that one play define that whole entire game because there was still time on the clock. But let's go into the box scores because I'm going to point something out. The defense is what kept the Sabercats in this game. The offensive end, it might have been the reason that they lost. And, you know, as we dive into it, uh, Dalton Norman went uh, three for eight for 34 yards. And we said that they might not give him the opportunities as he's a sophomore quarterback you know, they're not going to put the game in his hands yet until he proves that, you know, he can be the guy to drive down and score. They're going to more so have that big rushing attack. Well, both of them were pretty uh, silent this week as uh, Dalton, uh, he went uh, three for eight for 34 yards. But the big thing on here is the three interceptions, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't sit there and say that that one play 
is the reason you guys lost the game. You know, your defense kept it in, and you'll get into those details right now. But, I mean, they had only one rushing touchdown, and their second touchdown came on the defensive end. So it's a lot you can look into as to what was the real reason. You know, but ultimately, the Bobcats uh, did take the victory. But nothing for the Sabercats to hang their heads about because they played one hell of a game. And I think that if their defense uh, can still do this uh, throughout the rest of the year and their offense, you know, continues to progress, you're going to see Santan Foothills might uh, upset a lot of teams this year. Yeah, we talked about that in the beginning of the season because there was chirps about them being better than they have been in past seasons. But that seems to be the the storyline for Pinal County this year. Everybody's been improving. There isn't much you know downside except for a few teams, but everybody seems to be getting better. And you, you, you wanted me to mention some players on the defensive end. Let's talk about some of them. Um, one of the players that we got the play from, uh, Bo Cotherman, had eight solo tackles, six assisted, 14 total, two block punts, and one fumble recovery. Elijah Fields had eight solo tackles, two assisted, 10 total tackles, and one interception. And, and, and it wasn't ending there because I know that you got a little bit more to add to that. Yeah, he finished with uh, two forced fumbles and one crucial fumble recovery, which gave uh, the Sabercats uh, their second touchdown. Big plays are happening on the defensive end. You can definitely see that, you know, from what they did to Paul Verde and holding a pretty decent uh, Bobcats team. Yeah, they're not the same team as they were last year, but you know what? It was a very competitive game for both teams. And, and to only hold that team to 21 points, and show that, you know what, their defense is for real. And like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're calling a lot of players' names as players of the week from this defense because sometimes it's hard to pick on which guy we're going to pick when we look at this team because mm-hmm. they're so well-rounded on the defensive end, and I just can't wait to see uh, what they got uh, going against Santan Charter this week who uh, sits at 2-0. and But let's get into our game of the week. We decided to change our game uh, last minute. Uh, We felt that we wanted to be a part of the uh, Sequoia Pathway uh, experience. And, you know, uh, we know that there was a lot of emotions uh, going into that game. And these guys came out and they balled out. And, you know, they uh, ended up uh, taking on the Trivium Prep uh, Crimson Knights and beating them decisively 55 to 7. What do you think was one of the biggest takeaways from this game? These boys are scary. That's that's the one takeaway I have from this this game. Everybody in the 2A region, listen to me. The Sequoia Pathway Pumas are for real. And they're coming for a state title. And if you're questioning their hunger, God bless you. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things for me was Vinny Sanchez has some touch on that ball. You know, I, I didn't know what uh, kind of passing attack they were going to have this week. But you saw uh, TJ Kaylee, um, Elijah Wood all out there, you know, making plays and getting the balls in their hand. I mean, I think for them to go out and score on the very first play of their offensive possession, Kevin uh, McIntosh, man, he had himself a day. And, you know, I know you're going to talk about that here uh, with some of those stats, but with his speed and the power running of Noreen Banks, because I know a lot of people saw those plays that we posted on the recap. These guys, like you said, are going to be scary. I don't know who is going to be big enough to stop Norian because I saw him at one time almost carry six guys. And, you know, that's definitely 
a scary thing to have on the offensive side. But let's not forget uh, him and uh, Kyrese, I mean, on the defensive end. I don't know what it is about these two brothers. I mean, they are the most quietest, respectful kids you'll ever meet. But when those helmets go on and that whistle blows, they just become a different beast. And it's exciting to see, and I'm so excited to see what the Pumas are going to do uh, this year, man, because they got the potential to do it. Yeah, and you touched on it a little bit. Vinny went 7 for 15, had 143 yards under his belt, and one touchdown. Uh, Kevin McIntosh had eight carries, 90 yards, and three touchdowns himself. And I know he had just hit us up in our comments asking us who's going to be the player of the week. And I know he's probably going to be pretty interested to hear who takes that honor, but uh, Kev, you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about TJ Cayley. TJ Cayley had four receptions for 71 yards, a 38-yard long reception, and one touchdown himself. But let's talk about another player who, who you, we haven't even mentioned yet, young Elijah Woods. He had 42 receiving yards, 100 kick return yards, 66 punt return yards, one touchdown, and that touchdown started the third quarter when they got the ball kicked off to them. It it was amazing, and the kids' speed was n- not to be messed with. Yeah, and I feel that that's what's going to be a lot of the uh, kryptonite for the teams that play this team is the speed that they have on both sides of the ball. You know, like there were too many players that we can name. We'll we'll be here all night if we try to name every single one. But what impressed me most is, you know, that the referees weren't on their side from the jump. They were taking out of context this whole tuck in your jersey type thing. And, you know, you saw a lot of the players having to come in and out because according to the referee, their shirt kept getting untucked. And to the point where they were thinking about ejecting players like when you have Kevin rushing on the very first play for a touchdown, you are like the referees are not going to play a factor in this game. And, and they really didn't. I mean, it was a it was a first game for both teams and it was a little bit of sloppiness on both sides. You know, a few uh, turnovers uh, that Sequoia needs to clean up, especially once they start playing a better competition. But they went out there, you know. And uh, put uh, 12 on their shoulders, man. And, you know, you, you could feel that he was there with them every step of the way. And I know they they are going to utilize that emotion to go out there and wreak havoc on every single team. You said it. You, you nailed it right on the head. That's their motivation. They're doing this entire season. Every touchdown, every down is for 12. And as long as they carry him with them throughout the season, I don't see a future where they fail in their goal to win the two-way state championship last year they had an early out when they faced Benson because like you said Benson was a really good team last year and it was just unfortunate that it didn't go quite their way but at the same time it was their first time being in the playoffs there was definitely some nerves there and one thing that we could see in the beginning of this game was there was some definite nerves but after when they seen that they were completely in the driver's seat themselves there was nothing for the Pumas to fear and it didn't matter if it came from the, the sidelines as far as referees telling them or not telling them to get back and allowing them to get pen, penalties while telling the opposite team to get back, get back, get back. And, and not only that, but calling them by their first name, Connor, get back. That was probably one of the most blatant favoritism things I've seen from a referee so far. And, and it was a little bit disgusting because we would look at each other and I was just scoffing like, 
man. Like, but and then the only thing mm-hmm. we could do was just point at the scoreboard because there was nothing that they were going to do to flip that. Nope, not at all, not at all. But let's move into what everybody is excited for uh, every single week, and that's our breakout players of the week. Uh, last week I took the offensive player of the week, so I'm going to give you the honors to uh, make that announcement. Who is going to be our week two? offensive player of the week now see this was kind of tough because you know being at the sequoia pathway game you know there was plenty of reason to give it to young kev mack but at the same time it was a little bit outshined and 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 we got to say congratulations to javante wall because you are our varsity breakdown offensive player of the week congratulations javante yeah, man, you can't rush for over 230 yards and f- have four touchdowns and not be a unanimous pick. Uh, you know, we, we don't see that very often. Uh, so, I mean, kudos to him. Is like uh, He was definitely a big surprise for me to sit there and see that he took over that game completely on Friday night. And it, it's just that rushing attack from Coolidge. They have a three-headed monster that's growing. So you better be careful. And so, you know, congratulations, Devontae. Definitely well-earned. Uh, but now I'm going to move into the defensive player of the week. And y'all might have heard of him. You know, we mentioned him last week. But he elevated his game this week on a whole new level and did it against a great Benson team. Uh, we're going to have to give a back-to-back defensive player of the week to Mr. Elijah Fields, who had, once again, we'll we'll repeat those stats, 10 tackles, two tackles for loss, one interception, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and one touchdown. That's just so much to sit there and name in one stat line, but the kid had a day, man. And I mean, he did better this week than he did last week. There's nothing you can compare to that. Like that is almost the perfect game that you want to have on the defensive end. So I tip my hat off to Elijah, man, because he's doing the thing over there for the Sabercats. Yeah, good job, Biggie. So do you want to get the special teams player or you want me to take that? No, you, you go ahead, man. It's your week this week. All right. So I am proud to announce our special teams player of the week comes from the Sequoia Pathway Pumas. Elijah Woods, you put on a show out there, my guy. For you to take the bulk of the work as a returner in that first game, you did a tremendous job out there. And there was plenty of times where, you know, once we saw the ball go into your hands, we're like, oh, man, this is going to be fun because nobody, nobody out there stood a chance to stop you unless... You know, you you know, you had some players get in your way, and th- th- we saw that a lot too. You know, and mm-hmm. it was funny because I mean, we didn't see it in the highlight video, but there was a couple of plays where Norian was knocking some of his own players out of the way to just break through. And yep. it, it was such a great physical game to watch, and I'm glad that it, it turned out the way it did. And again, congratulations, Elijah! You did a tremendous job out there, and and we couldn't be any more proud of you and the entire Pumas team. Yeah, and I know he's gonna keep that momentum going into this week in that start of the third quarter to return that ball I think it was 85 yards if I'm not mistaken so you know keep doing your thing Elijah and you know we'll be watching so uh you know but for everybody else man I mean it's so tough to pick players week in and week out because a lot of these guys are so deserving and you know that's why we always mention them uh, when we review these teams is because you know what we may not be able to name them player of the week but man they are you know quietly balling out and people don't even realize it yeah and your competition is only going to get stiffer because now this week 
4A and 5A competition opens up, it's going to be even harder for you to get that spotlight because teams that play for bigger schools are going to be out there doing the same things themselves. Yeah, and you know, while we're on the topic, let's dive into these uh, week three games and uh, start making some predictions. So uh, the first game we're going to talk about is the Florence Gophers uh, hosting Veritas Prep. Florence is 2-0 and on the year, and uh, Veritas Prep is unfortunately 0-2. So um, what, what do you think uh, is going to play out for this game? I have to stick to my original prediction. There's going to be no way that the Falcons are able to put away the Gophers. The Gophers are on a really good hot streak right now, and it would be really, really uncharacteristic of them to just drop that against a team who is 0-2 right now. I don't see any reason looking at looking at Veritas Prep roster that they are going to have any chance of stopping the momentum of the Gophers right now. Yeah, Veritas uh, hasn't showed that they are you know, a consistent scoring team. Uh, so it's going to work in the favor, uh, you know, especially with that uh, Florence defense. Uh, they've only put up 26 points uh, in two games. So I'm going to stick uh, with my original pick as well, and I'm taking the uh, Gophers to go 3-0. and And who would have thought, right? I, I didn't see that at the beginning of the year, but it's mostly because we didn't know the drive behind Coach Hart. And now that we're getting to see that drive on the field every day now and when, when we get a chance to get video. And, and shout out to at Soprano1, Leia, ba- Leia Braz, for sending us the videos that she sent us of Anthony's touchdown and Josh's. Uh, we couldn't have had that extended coverage without you, and we got plenty more shout outs to give you know, throughout the, the night. But let's move into the next game. Let's talk about the ALA Ironwood Warriors taking on the Globe Tigers in Globe. So uh, Globe uh, picked up a victory uh, against Santa Rita. That game unfortunately ended in the third quarter uh, due to Santa Rita not having enough players uh, that were healthy. I think they started the game with 15 players. So, you know, they did beat them 40 to 0, you know, and that's not saying much. We know what type of team Santa Rita is. But you know what? I think that. ALA Ironwood is going to come in hungry because they're going to show them that, hey, we're not no Santa Rita team. You know, we just came off a close game and we are hungry and we're trying to get in this win column. So you're going to see uh, the Warriors come out to play. And, you know, I know that's your favorite saying right there, uh, but um, I definitely see the Warriors uh, going to take that victory. So do I. I. I don't think that there's any way that Globe can stop them. Like you said, they're very hungry, getting put out by last year's 2A state championship team in the Arizona Lutheran Coyotes. But the Coyotes are not the Tigers. We, we've seen that. And, and it's a big difference from when we were in school because Globe was actually tough competition then. And, and it's unfortunate to see them have this downfall, but it would be a clear advantage for the Warriors to go in there and possibly, possibly put up a 60 or 70 burger on them. All right, so we're going to both stick with the Warriors on that one. Uh, but let's move into a great rivalry game uh, between the Coolidge Bears and the Santa Cruz Dust Devils. Um, I don't see this being much of a rivalry this week, even though, you know, both teams got to come and play. I think this is a game that is going to heavily favor uh, the Bears. And I'm going to stick with my original pick and uh, pick the Bears to top uh, the Dust Devils. Yeah, so do I. I I see Coolidge going in there, taking care of business, shutting down the Dust Devils, and leaving that field 2-1. and one. It's going to be really tough for Coach Tommy Cortez and them to hold off the Bears and their offensive attack, um, especially after this week. We don't know for sure if, if Gianni is going to be under center or if Ethan's still going to be remaining QB1. It, it's going to be a really 
really tough game to watch. It, I hope that their support system in Santa Cruz comes out and and you know helps push them through. But it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for them. Yeah, and you know I expect this to be a packed house, regardless of you know what the score or the outcome is. You know, like I said, it's it's a rivalry that's been a part of this county for many years, and history. I don't. Yeah, it's definitely got the history for it. Uh, you know, but I just feel that with the youth of Santa Cruz right now uh, and the drive of Coolidge, you know, they're trying not to just compete for a region championship, but show that they're going to make a presence in this playoffs uh, this year. So I know that they got a lot to play for, but either way it goes, you know, I hope that it's another learning experience for uh, for the Dust Devils as I want to see them still progress, you know. Maybe this week the goal is to score two touchdowns, you know, and you, you kind of just build on it from there. And like I said, we're not expecting – the Dust Devils, you know, to turn things around right away. But, you know, as long as you're progressing in a couple years, this team is going to be one of the top teams in 2A, you know, if they don't eventually move up to 3A. I don't know what that's going to be for them. But in like two years, all those sophomores are going to be seniors. So I I think by next year, you might see a whole different uh, Dust Devil team and they're going to get back to those traditions that we know uh, down in Eloy. Yeah, I can't wait. So uh, let's move on into Sequoia Pathway taking on the Tombstone Yellow Jackets. Seems more like a competition uh, for the uh, Pumas uh, coming into this game. Uh, Probably better than what they faced in uh, week one for them. But at the same time, man, I I still don't feel that Tombstone is up to par uh, with uh, the Pumas. And so I'm going to take uh, Sequoia Pathway to win this one. And I think they're going to win it uh, pretty decisively again. Yeah, no doubt. There's there's something in the air for Sequoia Pathway right now. We 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 have a, a gist of what it is, but there's something else. And, and it was there before they, they had this hard tragedy that we saw this team was hungry. It was an exciting team to be around. They, they were very giddy. And it's not going to be an easy thing to stop this Sequoia Pathway train. Especially if if they continue to do they, the way they ended their game against Trivium Prep, Kyrie straight ripped the ball from the quarterback and ran it <laughs> for a touchdown. As long as they ride that momentum, they're going to go in really high, especially for their first home game, and take care of the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, and you know I I still haven't been able to uh, make it to a Sequoia Pathway home game. I'm hoping that we can accomplish that this year. I mean, the little bit of time we were there for their photo shoot was pretty awesome, but I want to see what their home crowd feels like, you know, cause, cause when they're warming up and they got that music blasting and everything, it, you can tell like it changes everything. It changes the whole atmosphere out there, but you know, best of luck Pumas. We know that you guys are going to take care of business and we uh, hope uh, come uh, Friday night, we see them at two and oh. Let's move on into a very interesting game, uh, which is going to be both Santan uh, schools. It's going to be Santan Foothills uh, taking on Santan Charter. And so Santan Charter is coming into the game uh, 2-0 and on the year while uh, the Sabercats are 1-1. and I'm going to let you make your prediction first this time around. What do you think is going to be the outcome for this game? 
And I believe your original pick was Santan Charter, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're not lying. I did have the Roadrunners taking this one over the Sabercats because that was, again, that was in our way way too early predictions of the season. And, and we didn't have any insight on, on Santan Foothills. And, and I, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I, I made those, you know, those predictions to be bold for a reason. So that way we can have something interesting to talk about when whenever these things come around. But I don't know. This one seems really tough. You know what I want to do? I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick with my original pick of saying that the Roadrunners will beat the Sabercats. And I hope the Sabercats just go out there and prove me wrong. Elijah goes out there, has himself a game. Bo goes out there and has himself a game. And, and maybe, just maybe, Dalton will have a good game. And, and I'm not and I'm not shitting on him any way at all. Like, you know, it's a tough thing to be a, a sophomore and to go out there and lead a team of of many men but this is something that i i see him doing and the coaches wouldn't have given them that position if they didn't believe in him at all oh without a doubt you know and my original pick uh was uh santan charter as well and i don't know i just feel that something is in the air from what happened to them on friday night with that final play where their coach is going to tell them hey we're not leaving it into the referee's hands anymore. We're going to put the pressure on Santan Charter from the jump, and we're going to play four quarters of solid football. And to me, I don't know what it is about this team that got me changing my pick for the second week in a row, but I'm going to take the Sabercats. And like I said, it's not a, a prove me uh, wrong type of thing. It's because, you know what, I'm finally starting to believe. And I believe that the Sabercats – are what people have been saying. You know what, Sabercats, go out there, get the victory. Just remember, I believed in you first before Loopy, but I'm just kidding. But (laughs) no, either way it goes. I mean, I think it's another competitive game for the Sabercats, and it may be a game that goes down to the wire again. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the Sabercats actually do pull it out, even though I'm sticking with my original pick. Like I said, it's on a prove-me-wrong basis. I want the Sabercats to come out victorious. So moving on into a team that's going to be uh, having their first game of the week is going to be the uh, Post and Butte uh, Broncos taking on the Higley Knights, uh, which should fare out to be a very uh, good game. Um, I think our original picks were both uh, the Broncos. Are you going to stick that way this week? Yeah, I'm definitely going to stick that way. There's no way that I'm changing my pick, especially on the Broncos. They haven't led me to believe that they're any less of a team than they were last year. So this is going to be a very exciting game. No, I absolutely agree. And I'm ready to see what uh, Coach Thompson has over there with the Broncos this year. I know they lost, you know, uh, quite a few big pieces, but it seems like this team can cycle players out each and every year and they don't skip a beat. And I don't expect any less. But you know what? I'm not going to say that Higley's that bad of a team. Despite what their record was last year, I think they're going to come out and be competitive. Uh, You know, I do always say you can't really judge a team off their first game because you're going to have all those mistakes. You're going to have those penalties, those turnovers and stuff like that. But at the same time, I just feel that the the Broncos are one of the top four A teams. And, you know, I can go back and forth with people and I still feel the same about Apache Junction, who we'll get into here in a minute. But to me, I still feel that even though Casa Grande's no longer in, in 4A, we still have two of the top 4A teams in this county, and you're going to see why on Friday night when the Broncos take the field. Yeah, and you, and you touched on them a little bit. Let's talk about the next game. Apache Junction takes on the Estrella Foothills Wolves. And based off the look on your face, it's not even going to be a competitive game. And, and I'll let you dive into that a little bit more. 
you know, what I've been seeing about Apache Junction, they've kind of been that silent killer when it comes to getting in the news. You've seen them uh, in Pinal Central. Uh, they ranked them their number one team uh, in the county this year. And I think that you're going to start seeing that in week one. I have them winning pretty decisively against uh, Estrella Foothills. And to me, I want to see what type of hunger that they have from having that round one uh, loss to uh, Lee Williams. Is there something that they are motivated? Is that their motivation or is it something else? And I want to see what this final score is and what that stat line looks like, because I know that even though we give so much praise to Post and Butte, I know Apache Junction sitting back saying, don't forget about us just yet. Like our time's coming. Yeah, let me open the door on my prediction house. I got to say that the prospectors absolutely pick apart the Wolves in their first game, and they might possibly shut them out. And that's no knock on Estrella Foothills. They they are not necessarily that bad of a team, but the competition they're facing in Apache Junction is going to go unmatched. Let's jump into a game that should be interesting on both sides. Uh, you have the Combs Coyotes taking on the St. Mary's Knights. How do you see this one, Ferry? I'm not really too sure. I think if I remember correctly, I had St. Mary's possibly taking this victory. Um, but I don't know. What Do you still feel the same way coming into this week? I kind of do because one thing that we've had so far and we've been trying to reach out to a lot of teams is, is a little bit of silence from Combs. Now, to me, that, that kind of, uh, it doesn't rub me the wrong way, but it kind of leaves me with two type of, uh, of perceptions of the team. One they're extremely focused and they are not, you know, giving in to any type of media or social media that they're just focused on football and solely football or two, they might not have that type of leadership right now. And, and, and their season very well might be in the air. And I'm, I'm, I'm surely looking forward to this game to see what happens and how they respond to St. Mary's coming into their home field and possibly putting them in a predicament where they might get blown out. So you're going to stick with uh, St. Mary's on your pick then, your original pick? Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, I don't really know a whole lot about uh, Combs right now to sit there and say, yes, they're a good team. They're a team that, you know, is in a rebuilding stage. I, re I really don't know. You know, they have a new coach coming in this year. And it's like, like you said, up in the air. We, we're not too sure. But I'm going to stick with my original pick as well, and I'm going to uh, go with St. Mary's. I don't know if they'll blow them out per se. Uh, you know, I do expect a sloppy game uh, on both sides. I always expect that for uh, week one matchups. But it could be a game where Combs might hang around, and we've seen what that does for other teams, you know. We saw it with uh, Florence in week one. Uh, we saw it with uh, uh, ALA Ironwood and um, – uh, Santana Foothills uh, this past week but you know can Combs rise to the occasion we're going to find out early on in this season what type of team they are because you know they do play a few other uh, Pinal County teams I think this uh, week one matchup is going to tell a lot so before we uh, move into our game of the week uh, we do have a Saturday game uh, which it's lining up to be a very good one. I've been hearing a lot of positive things about uh, Marcos Deniza, but you're going to have uh, Vista Grande uh, taking on Marcos Deniza as they're going to head up to uh, NAU to uh, play in the Sky Dome. And I feel that this matchup is going to be a lot closer than what we originally had thought. Uh, but what is your, your final take on this one? I still think that Vista Grande goes in there and they show Marcos Deniza that they are the Padres 
and they will walk away winners this game. Uh, you know, getting to talk to them a little bit on their media day, we got a little bit of insight of what they're playing with this year. And they have a lot of new additions to this team that will be really, really good for them, especially on the offensive end. I think that Darnell's going to have a field day with this team. And playing in that big environment at NAU, it could prove to be a little bit deadly because we know for sure that, you know, when you get up to that higher elevation, it's going to test your conditioning to the fullest. Oh, no doubt. We're going to expect uh, big things from, you know, uh, familiar names like Fernando Moya and uh, some of the uh, other returning players for Vista. But one of the things I want to see is how is that quarterback position, whoever is under center, how is that going to impact Vista Grande this year? You know, they didn't have much of a passing game last year. But like you said, with some new additions, some new wideouts uh, to throw to, uh, you know, it could be a. Uh, it could be a game where uh, you see Vista Grande air it out a little bit more. We're starting to see a lot of uh, our teams do that. And so, you know, I think that's going to be my biggest X factor of the game because, you know, I don't expect anything less from Fernando. He proved as a freshman uh, what he can do last year, and I know he's only going to get better as his high school career uh, progresses. But what is going to happen at that quarterback position? Is there a, a side of the ball that you're more focused on uh, when it comes to uh, the Spartans? I'm a little bit worried about their defense because last year we saw them, you know, put up a losing effort to Santan Foothills. And and I know they're probably rolling their eyes because they're like, well, are you still talking about that? I am because that's one thing that stands out. If, if you got beat by Santan Foothills last year, a team that was struggling very, very much, I, I can only imagine what's going to happen this year. But like you said, there's plenty of different weapons on their offensive side. And I feel like that will be a little bit too much to handle for Marcos Deniza. It's going to be a, a very great game. You know, if uh, Coach Roberts is listening and he wants to invite us on the bus, I don't mind riding out there. You know, I definitely would like to take that trip up there. We'll have to see how our uh, schedule uh, looks uh, throughout the rest of the week. But, you know, I'm going to uh, side with you and I'm going to take uh, the Spartans to pick up the victory because, like I said, there's just something special about the Spartans this year that this is going to be the year that they make history for, for their program. And, you know, I don't feel that what happened last year is going to carry over into this year. It's a totally different team. Uh, you know, Coach Roberts is building up that program. And you just see just with that media day, you know, them having to check out their jerseys and stuff like that, holding players accountable in that way. Like, there's a lot more to play for with this team this year. And it's no excuses, you know. And Coach Roberts, I know he's a man who makes few excuses and, you know, he'll wear losses on his sleeve. And he he's told us that before, you know, Hey, I feel a lot of it was, you know, trying to get people to buy into this program. You know, you're competing with Casa Grande and trying to keep players here. And now with Casa Grande and 5A doing their own thing, it's time for uh, Vista Grande to have that shine on them in the 4A division. And I feel that they are definitely a playoff team and we're going to find out what, uh, how true that is uh, going into uh, this game uh, this Saturday. But let's move into the game of the week, which is going to be uh, two of our uh, Pinal County teams as the Casa Grande Cougars are going to be hosting the Maricopa Rams. We know uh, what the result was from this game last week being a week one game. Casa Grande took it 55 to zero. Do you see that same outcome happening this week? I kind of do. I kind of do. It, it, it might not be a complete and total blowout, but... Based off of what I saw at Casa Grande scrimmage against Desert Edge, a team who is very, very hard-nosed. There were a lot of seniors on that other side, and, and they didn't play lightly. 
there were a lot of plays that had people limping off the field. And, and you know, even though it was a scrimmage, everybody went hard. Um, I don't see Maricopa going into Casa Grande and being able to stop last year's 4A state champions in their home field when they will have the raucous, raucous crowd behind them. And, of course, that band that doesn't quit. And I can't wait to see them, you know, get live on that first game of the season. It, it, it's going to be a really, really rough environment for Maricopa to go in and expect success. For me, uh, I think it, like you said, it's not going to be a blowout. I do feel that Casa Grande, you know, will win by at least three touchdowns. Not what I usually expect from them after what they did last year, but... I think that, you know, having a new coach and having to fill in some crucial positions is going to be a, a rocky start. You know, they're not things are not going to go as smoothly as they did last year uh, with having all that experience and all those seniors. It's a learning curve this year, and I feel that Coach Luna is going to have them in the right uh, state of mind. He's the perfect replacement uh, for Coach uh, Barrow just because he's helped build this program. You know, through the youth, through junior high and now into high school, he knows what makes these players tick and how to bring out the best in them. And so I feel that he's going to do just that. But I feel that it's going to be a little bit of a rocky start as they try to figure out how to connect with one another and build that chemistry. You've seen a little bit of that. I know you mentioned uh, when we talked about their scrimmage at the same time, Casa Grande still is Casa Grande, you know, and I feel that. Coming into 5A, they probably don't feel they have the respect as they would have if they would have been uh, still down in 4A because, you know, they're in a tough, tough region, but you're going to see them go balls to the wall and, and you know, give everything that they have uh, each and every game, especially for a coach like Coach Luna. Yeah, and, and talking to Coach Luna, that was the one thing that he harped on was definitely their chemistry. He knows that this is not the same team as last year, that there are plenty of new faces on this team and plenty of of players that he has to get to know and figure out, you know, their objectives. But their goal is still the same. It's to defend that state championship, show that they moved up for a reason, and to give these other 5A schools a run for their money. Um, and there's a lot of players that are returning that I'm looking forward to seeing again. DeAndre Kelly, can't wait to see him, you know, light up the field offensively. And on the other side of the ball, young Andon Diaz. I got to see him chop it up a little bit. And of course, you know, talk to Tino a little bit and then Zion was there and it was cool. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, it feels so surreal. Like I'm sitting on the sidelines. I'm not padded up. I feel like I should be out there playing with these guys. He's like, I, I could hear him, you know, you know, yelling out tips out there on the sideline. And I was like, man, he's itching so bad to be out there. And and, you know, he's going to have his shot when he gets his chance to play with the Scorpions this year. Um, hopefully he does. I know that he was talking about a little bit of injuries that he's nursing. And, and you know, we wish him a speedy recovery. But this year for Casa Grande is going to be amazing. I, I look forward to seeing what they do against Maricopa. I know that it's going to be a shootout as far as what Casa Grande is able to bring to the table offensively and defensively. And you know, I just hope that you know Maricopa doesn't get too low on themselves because, like you said, this is going to be their first game of the season and they're not going against really light competition. And one of the biggest takeaways I have for uh, Casa Grande is their offense and defensive line. I mean, you know, they have uh, guys returning like Tino uh, Leland who showed over the summer what the big man competition is all about. But let's not forget about their defensive line with, uh, you know, seniors like Luke Luna and Grant Johnson. I mean, two big boys coming in and coming at you full speed, playing and play out because this whole core of offense and defensive linemen for the Cougars 
showed what they were all about all summer long, you know, taking home the big man competitions and uh, winning seemed like every competition they went to, they were taking home some kind of trophy. And, you know, I think that's going to be the anchor for them this year is how well both uh, their offense and defensive line play. But, you know, it's going to be a great week of football. Some games might not be as close, but either way it goes, you know, we wish uh, the Pinal County teams nothing but the best. I know a few of them are going head to head, but whatever the outcome is, man, we know you guys are out there uh, giving it your all. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're proud of you. We can't wait to uh, come back uh, next week and talk about this and, of course, get all those messages as who's taking home uh, the player of the week. But other than that, brother, is there any last words uh, you want to close with? Um, yeah. When we were at the Sequoia Pathway game at Trivium Prep, we got to run into Jose, who hosts the AZ Preps 365 Saturday morning show. And he actually gave us a cool shout out on his show. So let's return the favor and give Jose a huge shout out on our show. And, and it was amazing to see that, you know, that they were actually at a media day and doing a whole entire coverage of the Mesa School District's media day. And just based off the photos alone from that day, it looked like it was an amazing spot to be at. And again, I just got to give him a huge shout out for that. And then another, uh, I did mention uh, Leia Braz from Florence from sending us the, the videos that she did. And then also Miss Fields from Santan Foothills. When we posted that video of the fumble slash touchdown, she definitely didn't uh, mince words and she let her feelings be heard on our end. And, and, you know, and it sucks because, you know, her son is Big E on the defensive side. So she has a lot riding on this thing. And we look forward to hearing from her more throughout the season. And I can't wait to get out to Santan Foothills for a Sabercats game this year. Yeah. And uh, keep the videos coming. You know, I know uh, this past week we weren't able to uh, include them in our recap. I just kind of wanted to focus more on uh, Sequoia Pathway and giving them their moment and, you know, being able to give our respects uh, to 12. But, you know, as we get into this week, I mean, if you guys get plays, like like we always say, send them in and we're going to share them on our pages as much as we can. And you know what? I think what I'm going to start doing, I'm going to take my best play that I caught and I'm going to challenge somebody to catch a better play. We'll put it up on a poll. If you beat me, we do have an announcement to make. Uh, so starting this Friday, we're going to have our raffles uh, for the Arizona State versus uh, Washington game on October 8th, as well as the University of Arizona taking on the Oregon Ducks on that same day. We're going to have raffles uh, starting on Friday, and it's going to go all month long. If you uh, beat me in getting the better play, I will enter you into the raffle for free. And, you know, uh, like I said, it can be a student. It can be a parent. It can be anybody. As long as you tag us or share it to us, I will put that in a qualification uh, to uh, see who had the better play. I think it's definitely going to be a really good opportunity for these young cameramen and women out there to get get a little bit of focus in and, and maybe get their name into the raffle for the drawing for those tickets. And one thing I can't forget is we want to give a huge shout out to Zach Melendez Photography. It was because of his sharp eye that we were able to share the moment from that controversial play with Santan Foothills. Well, if that's all you have, brother, I'm going to leave it right there uh, for this week's episode. Uh, we appreciate you guys joining us and we'll see you guys uh, next week. So best of luck to all the teams. Take it easy.